Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and with me tonight for a special Winter Rabbit Con edition is Julian Rabbit Murdoch. Hello, hello. Julian, how goes the recovery? Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm, the house is clean. My brain isn't here yet, but the house is clean. Excellent. Uh, no thanks to me. Um, <laughs> we are joined tonight by uh, two other RabbitCon diehards, uh, returning for her hat trick, right, Laura? Mm-hmm. This is my third time. Excellent. Uh, freelance writer Laura Krieger and, once again, Hasbro's Rob Davio. Welcome back to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be talking about Lady Luck, Cruel Fortune, and Edge Cases. Um, these are on my mind because, uh, over the course of this last weekend, I saw games taking some really outrageous turns through incredibly unlikely sequences of rolls or, uh, card draws. Um, and I also saw some really different reactions to these, uh, swings of fortune. Um... So I'd like to start with Lara, because it, it's kind of an experience that the two of us had that put me in mind of this topic. Um, on the final morning of RabbitCon, I think, well, we can safely call it a legendary match, um, <laughs> can't we, Lara? I think we can. I think it was it was one for the ages of uh, uh, Hold the Line, <clears throat> right? which is a meaty two-player hex-based history strategy game based around the, the Revolutionary War, and... I've played lots of Risk and some Axis and Allies and other strategy board games like that, but this is the first time I've ever like sat down with a, a hexed-based strategy game, and it was it was interesting. It certainly was very interesting. <laughs> I definitely I definitely uh, tossed you into the deep end of the pool there. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, I've never seen a game quite go like this. I mean, really, it was one of those things where I think if it were like a war movie. You'd have a lot of people saying, "Come on." Um, so, so why don't you why don't you tell like how did the game go from your perspective? Right. Well, so we played a twenty-two turn campaign set on Long Island, where you were the British, and your troops had cornered my ragtag revolutionaries in a trap, and um, I had to either retreat or just hold you off um, until the twenty-two turns were up, and so. Literally for 18 turns, I thought you had my ass. I, you know, I made some pretty silly mistakes early on. I didn't, uh, <clears throat> I didn't mobilize my troops on the fringes. I didn't uh, move some of my lower guys out of the fray. I didn't move in my healer guys, and so on and so forth. But um, mostly, it just came down to some mind-bogglingly awful rolls that I made. Um, so much so that I, I accused you of fixing the dice beforehand several times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was really bad. Like, um, the way Hold the Line works is every time one unit makes an attack on another, uh, you roll three dice. And if it's a if it's a close-range assault, bayonet's fixed, it's, you know, you have to hit four, five, and six. Um, you know, at one hex, it's five and six, and at two hexes, it's six. Um but so, I mean, with three dice rolling, you still have pretty good odds of inflicting some damage on the enemy. Um, and the Americans start this scenario with some really strong defensive positions, so their job, theoretically, should be just stand there and shoot the British as they come. Right. Um, and, and that's what Lara tried to do. But I have <laughs> never seen... I have never seen dice turn on someone like this. Um, 
for uh you, you roll for your action points at the beginning of your turn and i swear 17 out of 22 turns i rolled a one and i was getting i was getting points. threes every time that yes. was happening so again i was able to i was making twice as many moves as you per turn yes but then then around round 18 your luck turned and things started going awfully for you and i pulled it back and uh we we both managed to get really close to our victory conditions it came down to the last roll of the last turn there yeah um yeah i was on, i was on my last turn i had to kill one more american unit to win the scenario but and i had I think, to just kill one more british troop to win the scenario or wait you out so right um so yeah i mean my last roll i had to get two hits out of the three dice and i did and i won the scenario but um it was it was really amazing because you know for the first half of the scenario I just be able to sort of walk all over your troops. Um, oh, because oh, stomp, crush into the ground, you know, liquefy. Pretty, let's let's go. Keep going. It was pretty bad, but I mean, um, you know, I, actually for this podcast, I think I'm going to put a picture of the board um, just so you get a sense <laughs> of geography. But the way it is is the Americans are defending this chain of hills, and the British in my game kind of went around the right flank, and we're trying to sort of sweep them across the board. Um, yeah, and and then what ended up happening is the Americans have this last line of defenses in the northwest part of the board, and um, you know what what really got me there is there's this one little cannon shooting from this hill that was just like pecking at my troops, and it was kind of pissing me off. Um, <laughs> scrappy, so I kind very of, scrappy cannon. So I made a mistake and I got angry, and I basically. I basically um, canned my original strategy, which was just going to be, like, envelop your guys and kill them all. And I was like, no, I think I'll just, like, I'll take care of that can. It'll take me five minutes. It's an easy kill. Um, and that was the remainder of the game. You know, five, <laughs> five minutes of, like, what was supposed to be a five-minute assault up a hill, um, after just a few turns of trying to take this cannon out, what had been a solid wave of British soldiers was now, like, two units left fighting for their survival clinging to these captured entrenchments um so it was just it was amazing but uh i think what really stood out for me was how for a good portion of the scenario um everything that could go wrong for laura did and pretty much everything that could go right for me did um and and yet i i don't i don't feel the game i didn't I, i didn't sense you getting really that frustrated with the game uh and it came back and it left me kind of wondering um, it, it left me wondering why, because I mean, I'd seen, I'd seen how, I'd seen how Julian reacts to bad luck. Not well would be the answer. How can you not be frustrated when you feel like you're executing a strategy and the dice are killing you? <laughs> um, well, part of it was I went into it knowing that this was my first attempt at a game like this. So I wasn't going to get upset if it didn't go my way or whatever, because I, I, I you know, <clears throat> Uh, Rob, I told you at the beginning of the game, I learned best through spectacular failure. And boy, <laughs> boy, was that some spectacular failure. So you I went was... in expecting failure. And yeah. therefore, you're pleasantly surprised every time you did something well. <laughs> no, I wouldn't put it quite like that. But, you know, I wasn't going in with any expectations what to, you know, what I would find in the game. Um, I think if I were a little bit more experienced with this sort of game, it might make me a little bit more rage quitty when things happen <laughs> quite like that. But, um, you know, I, I had a really fun time talking through the different strategies with you and, and just sort of uh, learning how 
it, it was more of a learning experience, if I had to, to say it like that, um, than like I was sitting there playing a competitive game where I needed to crush my enemies and see their horses driven before them and hear the lamentations of their women and such. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just different play styles. Um, but at the same time, part of it also came back to, I think, luck really, in, in a historical setting like this, you really do have to account for luck um, because luck does play a role in history. Happen chan- happenstance and chance events and things that don't get planned for, they always come into play and you can't avoid them. And certainly, you know, George Washington didn't pull a victory out sparkling from his britches. So, you know, it, it took a fair amount of luck for us to win the Revolutionary War. And I, I thought that kind of played into the, the scenario well, um, maybe a little too well. Um, I was starting to wonder what ancient Akkadian god I had pissed off to roll so horribly. Uh, but, you know, it, luck has to come in there somewhere. Okay. <laughs> um, now, at, at the other end of the spectrum, though... You know, with, with Hold the Line, Lara, I kind of feel like, at, le- at the very least, you were able to do stuff every turn. You know yeah. what I mean? You, you were still in there able to fight in some way. Um, and I'm not sure that was the case when Luck really turned against Julian in our game of War of the Ring. Well, I mean, this is always the balancing act, right? Is is Luck, luck allows for the occasional crazy ending, which makes games fun. I mean, it sometimes makes it. Sometimes, sometimes Pickett's charge has to work, right? That's that's sort of the neat. That's always my smell test in a strategy game. Is sometimes you have to be able to say, you know, like in a movie heroic moment, tack with it. We're gonna storm the breaches and not have it be a guaranteed failure simply because the numbers look like you should fail. Over the, a course of a lifetime, yes. Pickett's charge should always fail, but one time out of a hundred, he should miraculously break through and and have it all work out. So yeah, I get that. But then, if things are too luck dependent, you can end up with really unbelievably lopsided games early on if they're not carefully constructed. And and the game you're talking about, we played was War of the Ring, which I actually don't think of as being all that luck based, even though. You're rolling dice to tell you what you can do every turn. What you do is determined by the cards you draw, which is another random element. And then the battles are resolved by dice. So, you know, objectively, there's a tremendous opportunity for luck to guide the game. But in a way, because there are so many opportunities for luck to guide the game, uh, then it's not really not so random, right? I mean, nobody would say a game where we're going to roll a thousand dice is really all that likely to end up completely lopsided. You know, it's generally going to end up somewhere in the middle. But in our game, I didn't roll a mustard die for the first hour and a half of the game. And because of that, I was unable to put any troops on the board. And I just basically got to sit around while you washed over me and i did eventually rage quit i think i was I, rage quit might be aggressively put you, i didn't you, ra- yeah, you I, nicely I didn't. rage quit i nicely it, rage quit it was like a reality quit <laughs> <laughs> I, it was just there was no point i mean it reached a certain point where i had half the troops on the board i'd started with and you had twice the troops on the board that you'd started with there was just there was really no chance i could have fought it out for an epic loss but i had better things to do with my life i i actually wanted to ping rob on this because rob 
like almost all the games that you work with have that element of dice rolling. I mean, certainly all the risk variants that you've designed yeah. over the years, etc. Uh, people often criticize games like that as being too luck based, too luck heavy, not involving enough strategy. I mean, does that? How do you balance that? How much luck you put into a game? Out? How do you how do you approach that from a design perspective? Well, from a you have to keep in mind that you know I work for Hasbro, Parker Brothers, Milton Bradley, so. The vast majority of the games I'm designing are designed for either casual gamers or kids. Um, and they want something that, depending on the game, depending on the age, they should feel like they've earned their victory. But they're willing to uh, accept a lot of luck along the way. Because in many ways, luck results in a good story or an interesting experience or both. You know, sometimes the, the story that it results in is how awful something went. You know, like the... <laughs> like Lara. <laughs> Well, no, like more like yours. I mean, hers was the idea of luck balancing out over the course of a long game. She rolled a lot of dice, and on average, it sounds like, got slightly worse than average odds, but they were all clustered at the beginning. Um, And so, therefore, it actually made a very interesting narrative. I had already left by the time they played this game, so I hadn't heard this story until now, but I was kind of riveted. And if the (laughs) same game had been played under, you know, it kind of went back and forth. It was an even match, and... And it was good, and I won at the end. You know, but by basically saying how bad things were, and then against all odds towards the end, she started to come back until it came down to the last die roll, Maybe sort of created story. a narrative where one may not have existed. So um, I, for the games I design, luck is it has to be thought about, but it, a lot more of it can be accepted within um, the game than within some more strategic games where people uh, are going to put hours and hours and feel like they want to earn their victory. But... You know, I think with luck, luck always seems so dangerous because I mean, I'm not the best sport playing board games. <laughs> um, I will, I will freely That's admit that. That's fair enough. That's a yeah. fair assessment. Uh, I play a lot of them on my feet or pacing around in a rage between turns. Um, and one of the reasons for that, though, is I feel like, you know, oh man, the dice totally screwed me again. Uh, I, I feel, I feel, you know, there's there is game injustice happening a lot of times when I'm in the presence of a luck based system and. You know, I mean, how do, how do you go about how do you how do you go about like making sure that, or at least mitigating the chance uh, that a player is going to feel like, well, it didn't matter what I did because you know the game just turned against me. How do you how do you control for that? Um, there's a couple different ways. You either put a lot of random events in and hope for the bell curve to even them out. You know, if the game was that you played a whole game of strategy and then after two hours you rolled one die. And whoever rolled higher won. Well, then luck mm-hmm. is entirely dependent on the game. I mean, the, anything you did up to that point is meaningless. But if you, for every die roll you add, for every card draw you add, you're balancing out the good luck and bad luck. It will still be clumped, but it won't necessarily, you hope, play a huge effect um, at the end of the game, knowing that sometimes people will be slightly luckier than usual or slightly unluckier than usual. But you hope that people aren't too often going to end up on the very thin end of the bell curve and be looking at, I won this game through no skill of my own, or I lost this game through you know no fault of my own. But you understand that it's going to happen, and you're willing to live with that possibility to get some truly interesting surprise moments in the middle. The part where the story turns, where the unexpected happens, where everything against all odds comes through. Um, and then you just apologize when people come up to you at Gen Con and said that they lost the game because of bad luck. I mean, other ways you can... <laughs> 
Well, uh, what matters is- more, you winning the game or you having a good story to tell about the game? I mean, what are you really going to remember more? To, what are you going to take away from the game? Um, from I design games to go to tell a good story. I consider myself a storyteller who works with you know cardboard and plastic games. Um, abstract games I find interesting for their mechanics, but they don't necessarily create a good story, so I don't play them as often as I play games which have some sort of theme, uh, no matter what it is. If I like the theme, I'll forgive the game a lot of sins because it just creates a story or a movie in my head. I started out as a role player, and I think I always kind of lived there to some extent. Um, one of the games I worked on was Heroescape, which was, for people who don't know, was a sort of mass-market tabletop miniatures game, and it was very luck-driven. I mean, if you really want to create a historical battle, Heroescape wasn't the set to do it, but if you wanted to have sort of a, a fun skirmish-level half-hour playing a game with a lot of ups and downs, with enough tactical and strategic decisions to make you feel like you earned it, this was a, a game, and we were working on a lava set because uh, the game came with physical tiles for terrain as well as the people to fight on it. And we had molten lava, and we are trying to think of the rules, and the first rule proposed was, well, you step on lava and you're dead, which makes a lot of sense. You know, that's what should happen. <laughs> um, but I proposed, I said, what if you step on molten lava and you roll a 20-sider, and if you roll a 20, you live? And people were asking me, well, why would you do that? And I said, because somewhere, someone will be backed into a corner and will have to cross two lava tiles to make it to freedom. And against all <laughs> odds, we'll roll two 20s in a row and make it to freedom, and they will talk about that for the rest of their life. But most of the time, they'll die. You know, And most of the time, they'll either make the first one and, and fail on the second, or they won't make the first one at all, or they'll choose not to do it because the odds are so thin. But I know that it has the potential to create this dramatic moment that you just can kind of almost justify, like they found a couple rocks and you know, tiptoed through them, and the hero lived. Um, so I always look for a way to kind of create the long odds to create an interesting moment, but not the long odds to win or lose a game. Hmm. Interesting. So that, that's interesting because um, it, it, it seems to me that that, that that seems like it would be almost harder to, to leave room for an edge case where one little event's going to happen, but not necessarily one really fascinating event's going to happen, but not throw the entire game out of whack. Yeah, you don't design for them, but if you happen to notice them, you can kind of look at it and say, oh, is this worth designing out? You know, is this really going to tip the balance of the game? And and sometimes, I mean, you, getting back to your original question of how do you design a game with luck and without making people, you know, upset or rage quit or something. Another one is, um, you know, don't put a lot of stock in winning or losing, which for a lot of people who play strategy games, it's about winning or losing and earning your victory. If right. you're designing right. a party game where you're going to sit around and you're going to play a variation of charades, or you're going to draw pictures and laugh about it. Telestrations or something like that, right. Yeah, telestrations. Um, you, then, you know, there can be a ton of luck in that, because really, at the end of the day, people aren't focusing on winning or losing. I, for example, played that game, and I, I don't know what the win or lose conditions are of the game. So sometimes when you're... <laughs> yeah, de- <laughs> exactly. Um, sometimes when you're designing a game which is meant to be a party experience, it really is about the the journey not to destination. So at that point, you can get a lot more lax with sort of twists and turns and luck and and bad things. Or another thing is, if you're going to make a game which is luck-dependent, make it short. I mean, if you're designing a game for two kindergartners to play that has a lot of luck, they're going to want to just play a whole bunch of games, and you make them like five minutes long, and if they lose horribly, they just play again and they play again, and over the course of all the games, it balances out. Rob, I wanted to ask you from the hardcore strategy perspective, 
you know, there is this perception sometimes that that spectrum of luck versus chess, right? Zero luck versus, you know, playing craps, um, that, that sort of the more serious with big air quotes around the games don't have any luck involved. Do you, do you subscribe to that? Or do you think that that's a false dichotomy? If I would use it serious, I mean, obviously they're more thoughtful. Um, you know, a game that's 100% skill, you know at the end of the game, you won or lost entirely on what you did or didn't do. And some people like that. Some people feel like I'm going to earn my victory and I can't, no one can say to me after that anything was due to fate or luck or drawing the right card or being in the right place or getting the right thing out of the bag, that this was mine to win or lose and I will live with that and, and really enjoy that. And some people like the idea of something unpredictable is going to happen in the game and can I think on my feet to react to what the game has thrown at me hmm. um, but, but definitely Candyland is 100% luck nothing you do in Candyland um, allows you to win or lose but Candyland is designed to teach three year olds the, the structure of how to play a game touch your piece on your turn don't touch it on when it's not your turn move this way not that way <laughs> don't cry when you move backwards and don't point at your brother when you win i mean it's teaching like the fundamentals of gameplay and and you're in a world of candy so and then you get to the other side which is chess which the only bit of luck is which color you draw to play and even at the tournament level i don't know that may be a sign before you get there um and then after that it's win or lose so it, it runs a spectrum it definitely the the older you get and the more involved you get with games, the less you want luck to determine whether you won or lost. Well, there's I'm, I'm thinking I'm actually looking at my board game collection right now and I'm, I'm looking at some of my favorite games like Last Night on Earth, uh, like, uh, well, that's the first one that comes right to mind. But, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of luck in that game, um, you know, just from the card draws uh, or another game that I played this weekend, Buffy has a fair amount of luck in it. Um, and these are not short games. These are not <clears throat> unsubstantial or non-serious games. What role does luck have for those longer meteor games? Um, because you, you can't have a last night on earth without you know, these, these epic card draws you know, or, um, or, or rolls to the, to the finish. It just seems to me that without that element of luck, um, you might as well be playing ingenious or chess or, you know, just mechanics, all mechanics all the time. Right. Well, you really hit upon sort of in hobby gamers, we'll call them adult gamers who are playing board games primarily, not necessarily war games, not necessarily role playing. But if you're going to be taking out a board game, a box game today, these days, there's if you had to broadly separate the two schools of thought, there's the Euro game, which sort of uh, settlers of Catan sort of pioneered about 15, 18 years ago, where Luck is definitely seen as a negative. The mechanics are seen as the positive, and the theme is just enough to cover the math with graphics. Right. A lot of these games rely not on direct confrontation and very little luck. There is some luck in different games. I mean, card draws and occasionally dice or pulling something from a bag, but really these are about working mechanics. A lot of it is indirect confrontation um, and have some incredibly elegant game systems, but not a lot of stories. You are playing the math. You are playing more, a slightly more themed version of chess. But you can end up with auction games and trading games and bidding games and empire building games, kind of using this as your philosophical game uh, design base. The other school of thought are called um, Ameritrash games, at first derisively, but it's sort of been embraced by people who like them. These are games more like Risk, I guess is sort of the grandfather of these games, Axis and Allies, and the games that you described last night on Earth, 
um, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer fall under this, where the main goal of these games is not necessarily the mechanics, but telling an epic story. Mm-hmm. Um, basically creating sort of a, a rock opera or like a large full-scale summer blockbuster where, um, you know, rock operas aren't about the subtlety or elegance of the music. It's about big and loud and more. And a lot of American or Ameritrash games um, wear that proudly. Um, and basically you're going to have a lot of dice, a lot of luck, but you're also going to have a lot of narrative. You feel like you're going to be playing the story where the narrative really matters. And of course there's a lot of hybrids in between. There's games that minimize the luck that are Meritrash or maximize the narrative if they're Euro games and some that you know borrow from both. But really there's two main schools of thought and it kind of comes down to which one you like to play more. Mr. Zachney, I wanted to ask you a question, which is thinking about this in video game land, I think about the the core strategy games that we all play, things like all the various RTSs, StarCraft II, whatever. Um, a lot of these seem to me to be uh, games that have removed luck from the system, where if the luck is there, it's so far down on the list of potential factors. I mean, I, I've never heard anybody say, I lost insert RTS game name here because I got a bad draw or a bad roll. I mean, there may be luck underneath some of those engines, but from most people's perspectives, I think that they think of those as purely skill-based games. Do you, do you see a role for this in that side of the fence? Or is this really one of those, you know, have to have it in your hands, rolling that die to feel like Pickett's charge succeeded because of the die roll? Boy, you know, I, I don't know because it, I think it really depends on who is playing the game. Um, you know, I think I think in a lot of RTS games there there is there's at least this idea that outcomes should sort of um, be determined in advance. You know, like the 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 RTS and a lot of strategy games are really wedded to the rock paper scissors you know outcomes where you know if these two units meet up in battle, this one's going to win every time. Um, and I think you know that's just that's that's just become accepted convention, and even RTSs um, that leave a little bit of a little bit of luck, like what sort of what kind of damage is this unit going to do on each attack? You know, where it can fall between like one and three or something. There's so many of these going on at once that in the end you aren't going to notice whether you had good or good or bad luck. It's just it's going to be invisible to you. Um, and I think I think most people prefer it that way. Um, but I, I do wonder if again that if that creates the risk of a bit of sameness um, from one game to the next. Um, I, I remembering, you know, a few weeks ago I wasn't on the show, but a few weeks ago we had um, uh, some guys from Matrix talking about Gary Grigsby's War in the East, and you know the question the question was put to them why why is this game so complicated? Why does it go into such incredible detail down to the last armored vehicle, down to the last you know rifle squad? Um, you know what do you, what do you get from putting all this stuff in your game that you know no one's going to be able to comprehend what's really playing out under the surface of this game, and and they said that you know they want that detailed because if you don't if you don't have a really granular um, you know engine for producing outcomes you get a lot of corner cases um, and their perspective was strategy gamers can't stand that they want they want probability only insofar as it will create realistic outcomes right like you know if two tanks meet up in world war ii you don't know necessarily who's going to win you know one might have the advantage but it's it's um it's not a sure thing and i think a lot of strategy gamers kind of 
fall into that wanting to have their cake and eat it too, where they want just a, mm-hmm. enough luck to make it seem like, again, they live in a world of chance, but they don't want so much luck that they don't feel they're, that they, that they feel they're not playing something that is on some level a simulation. Um, so you get a game like War in the East where, you know, it's, it's really interesting, but I find a lot of my games follow, following a similar pattern because there's, there's simple, there's, there's limitations, you know, built into the history that you can't overcome. The luck, that luck isn't going to, luck won't help you that much. Um, and some people like, some people really like that. I'm, I, I, you know, I, I swing both ways on that question. Uh, and I, and I really do think, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to investment. Um, like you said before, if I am playing a game for, you know, a 20 hour campaign of a game and it comes down to a bad die roll. Oh, the rage. Unspeakable rage. <laughs> um, but if it's, if it's, a, if it's a quick, you know, just a couple hours, um, and we're done, then I, then I do want that story you were talking about. I would like, you know, the, the story I came away from my game with Lara where, you know, However, that last roll had shaken out. By that point, I had so I had such a fascinating, you know, experience uh, from that game. It was one of those things. Well, this is why I play war games. Um, it's for the for these great, like you know, the last roll of the dice. Um, but I, I probably wouldn't feel the same way if that had been a game that you know we've been playing via mail, set up on card, you know, tables in the basement <laughs> over across three months. That's true, but luck makes for interesting. Um... I guess coincidental things and, and humans like to find patterns. And so we, we find these little moments where it's sort of irrelevant, but it makes a good story just because fate or luck or happenstance um, happen to do it. We played a game over the weekend. Uh, it wasn't last night on earth. What's the one I'm thinking of? It was the, the invasion sequel. from outer space invasion from outer space, which um, was in that Ameritrash um, sort of style, a big story with a lot of dice and a lot of things going on. And it was about Martians that were invading um, a, circus carnival and so we all played carnies and uh fighting off the martians and the writers of the game put in that there could be um two cards in in the game one which was small hands um was the title of the card and the other one was smells like cabbage which was the quote from the austin powers movie carnies you know small hands smell like cabbage and these are two completely independent cards and i don't even remember what the cards do but we all remembered that the person playing the Martians drew and played those two cards back to back in that order. Did it really make a big difference? <laughs> yeah. Did it really change the game? No, but it was just this little lucky moment that we all sort of found and fascinated and Lord like tweeted about it. And, and um, <laughs> that's what she does. Well, and, and, uh, and I mean, that's that, that sort of happenstance narrative is frankly why I like War of the Rings so much because you're working inside to me War of the Ring is this great test bed because you know like the Civil War everybody already knows how it plays out everybody knows exactly what happens in Pickett's Charge down to which goddamn horse was in which part of the field when they ran into the line I mean that thing has been documented within an inch of its life so is War of the Ring it's just a little more fantastical so it's a little easier to imagine those edge cases playing out right you're willing to suspend your disbelief a little bit more um and and you have all these opportunities not just to have crazy edge cases like oh my gosh it's turn three and all of a sudden frodo's already in mordor I and mean, theoretically that could happen if you put all the dice in the right place could happen 
Maybe not turn three. Maybe turn six. Um, I was doing the math. I know. I can tell. <laughs> um, but 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 on the other hand, if you actually want the story to play out exactly as it happened in the books, you have to have an equal amount of luck in a different direction, right? You have to actually have Gandalf the White and Fangorn and draw the card that lets the Ents wake up, right? I mean, you have to have all of these magic confluences, like getting small hands smells like cabbage at the same time. Into, for that great story moment to play out, and um, and and so I th- I think personally I find myself more drawn to games that allow those edge cases in, um, and over time, sort of as I get older, and less willing to commit the mental energy to games which are are punishingly skill based. Right? I mean that's part of what draws me away from a lot of really hardcore competitive RTSs like StarCraft Two. Um, and frankly, even just playing chess, right? I'm much more likely to play chess with a friend coming over to the house now than I was maybe 15 or 20 years ago, um, because I feel like there is that predetermined outcome. I know if I sit down to play chess with, you know, yours and my friend, uh, Dave Martin, Rob, right? I'm going to get beat. I'm just going to get beat. There's just no chance, right? Because I don't play enough. I don't think about the game enough. I would have to study for six months to have a competitive game with him again. Uh, and and hope that he had drank too much, and then maybe I'd have a shot, right? Yeah. And I don't like that. He doesn't that. drink. Yeah, it's not going to happen, right? Um, the so so I don't like that sense of this predestination when I sit down to play an RTS. That well, either I'm good enough or I'm not, and if I'm not, I lost this game before I even you know before I was born. That that bugs me. I can see that. I mean, the flip side of that is if you play a game which is more skill based, and every. Well, not every game. I would think most games that adults play, unless it's a party game, have some sort of skill. Is when you get done, even if you've lost badly, you can look back and say, "What can I do better? What can I do better?" You can get a sense of mastery. You can get a sense right, of betterment. Right, so the next time you right. play it, you have better strategies and better tactics and react better to whatever the game is throwing at you. And the more luck there is in the system, the less likely you are able or willing to do that because you know that you have to sort of react in the moment to what the game is throwing at you. And I don't think better one is better or worse. I'm just showing you that there. There is something interesting about um, kind of uh, you know playing a game with a lot of skill and not a lot of luck. Sure. Is, you know, unless you lose so badly, you never want to go back. Well, so, <laughs> so where does a game like BSG or Shadows Over Camelot fall into that? And there's a, a fair, well, there's a lot of luck involved in both of those games. Um, but I wouldn't say that they're casual or or not for adults or or immature games see i i see those games as poker right but playing really? battlestar playing battlestar galactica or playing real shadows with a traitor yeah. is much more about reading people and manipulating a political situation than it is about the system the system is a hmm. really interesting way of creating this tense social dynamic particularly Battlestar, where you know for sure there's a traitor, guaranteed, right. and possibly two, right? That's a system designed to create social tension at a table within the bounds of a rule set. It's really a role-playing game, which has a great system built around it. So, so to me, that's much more like poker, right? The game of poker is actually incredibly boring, right? Playing playing Texas Hold'em all day long against you know, seven computer opponents would be the most boring game ever. It's only interesting because it's about learning and understanding and reacting to people. 
And and I fear what's happened in and the irony there is there's a game that is you know once everybody has the exact same math it's hugely luck based. Um, a game like StarCraft Two has no luck, but I would say they're actually almost exactly the same game in the sense that at the most competitive level they are entirely about reading people and very little about actually understanding the mechanic of the game beyond a certain level. Everybody gets the mechanic of the game. And now it's about how well do you understand your opponent based on what they show, like what their tells are. So I, I think those games are very adult in the sense that they are about reading people. Very few kids' games are really about understanding your opponents. Well, just you know, one thing to to bring up with I think BSG and Shadows Over Camelot, and I think you could include um, War of the Ring in this as well. Um, what I find interesting about these games that use card like card mechanics to give you you know powers or create events or um, you know award points is you know the first time through when you're learning it I think it is much more luck based um, but as you play it more and you start to learn what's in that game and what things will happen later and once you start having knowledge again turn it becomes a much more like poker where you become aware of what the other guy has, you know, in his deck, what what could be going on right now beneath the surface. Um, I think I think at first a lot of a lot of games like this, uh, you know, Last Night on Earth is is the same way. Um, a lot a lot of games like this, the first few times you play them, it seems like stuff is just happening. Um, you right. know, oh my god, what what the, what the hell is that? What's that card? Um, but as as you as you spend more time with them. Um, I think there's there's much more, you know, the space for luck begins to shrink and shrink and shrink as players gain the capacity to make educated guesses. Well, that's that's really just the counter side of the skill argument, right? If you're an extremely skillful player and you're really just trying to test your skill in the system, then sure, you want as little luck there as possible because you don't want to invest that time to lose a game just because you got a bad draw. Right. And and actually, I know people who I mean, you were bringing up chess, right? You know, the whole thing about chess is that there is that luck of the draw. There's like a four or five percent edge if you play white and there are chess players who rebel horribly against that. Right. They, they feel like this is an unfair test. And even in most strategy games at the most competitive, you know, bash heads together level, everybody always wants to play the same scenario twice and play both sides because then, you know, who's really got it going on. Right. Right. I mean, one thing that I realized that, because <clears throat> we were talking about, uh, or Rob, you were talking about when you play a game that has an event deck, the first time, it, it truly is the first time it's happening. So it, it's, you're reacting to all these unknown things. And then as you play the game again and again, you kind of know what's in the deck and what's not in the deck and what would be bad to be the next card based on what's happening so far. And um, we really haven't discussed, at least in the board level, the difference between cards and dice um, and how different forms of luck those entirely are. I mean, a deck of cards is... Is um, and I, I want to make sure I get my terms correct, and, and someone I'm sure will will tell me if I get them wrong. But um, there's independent luck and dependent luck, and dice are independently lucky. You roll dice, and the next time you roll them, whatever happened in the past doesn't matter. If you rolled ten sixes in a row, you could say, "Well, I shouldn't get a six because I'm due not to." But no, you have a one in six chance of getting a six, just like whatever, you did every time. Right? Just like you did every time. Now the chances before you rolled the first one said, "What are the chances of my getting eleven and sixes in a row?" Is really low, but once you get those ten. It's a whole new moment, which means if you're putting dice into a game when you're designing it, you're putting independent luck in where anything can happen at any moment with the dice and you can get more outliers. 
you put a deck of cards in that's dependently lucky um, to keep it with a base level like a regular deck of cards. Once the Ace of Spades is out, the Ace of Spades is out. It's not in the deck anymore. So if you can kind of count cards or pay attention and you notice that a preponderance of hearts have come out or a lot of low cards have come out, you have knowledge about what's left in the deck. Now, you don't know the exact order, but every piece of information you get gives you something about what's to come and actually minimizes your luck if you're paying attention. And when you're designing a game, you use those two tools very differently, depending on what you're trying to achieve. Um, you know, that's that's really interesting. And it just, you know, to step aside for a moment and do a little armchair game design, I think that's one thing that uh, actually... That's something I really kind of miss over in the PC strategy side of things, where I, I go play these board games, and event decks are actually pretty damn common. You know, where you know there's so many games where the rules can be changed or broken by a few cards, and as you play them, I think it's really cool, because like when you're playing Last Night on Earth, you, you know that the zombie player has a few absolute landmines. In, in in the deck, right? And if you that, haven't seen them all game, you know they're coming. Oh right? yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So like there could there could be a card that like one card I absolutely love is um, you know, in Last Night on Earth, it's a it's a it's a zombie schlock horror survival game. Um, so there's a card that you can, that can be played where one of your characters has to get to a location on the map, no matter what else is going on, he has to begin moving toward that location. I think it's like, I have to get to the library or something like that. <laughs> um, and so one of the crucial for character... Sure. You were going to go for, this could be our last night on Earth card. <laughs> oh, no, right, that one, right, you have to immediately go... Far too Nikki. smutty for three yeah. moves ahead. Um, <laughs> no, but just things like that can, can sort of change the game and force people to play in different ways because the card has sort of changed the dynamics of the scenario. And I think one thing you come across a lot in PC strategy is that's just not that's just not done. Um, the game the the rules aren't going to suddenly the rug isn't going to be pulled out from under you midway through. And I, and I think it's interesting when it is. Um, you know, I, I think in I think PC strategy there's there's a lot of ways where um, you're you're it's it's far too easy to stick to optimal lines of play. You know, where if this is working, there is no incentive to not do that. And the game isn't going to uh, take a kneecap, to, you know, isn't going to kneecap that strategy, basically. Um, and and I, I find it so interesting in a board game when that happens, when suddenly, uh, just for this turn or maybe for the duration of a scenario until you do something to take an effect off, um, where suddenly you're playing by different rules. Because, you know... Different rules are interesting. It, it forces it forces a new strategy, and I think you know one of the great things about strategy games is coming up with new stuff on the fly is really fun and exciting. Yep. Yeah, it, it definitely mm-hmm. seems like a balance. I mean, Rob, what you were saying about that whole system mastery thing. I mean, in in Rafe Coster's uh, you know theory of fun, he goes on at length about how human beings are both pattern recognition machines and system mastery endorphin generators. Right? You you recognize patterns, you learn how to exploit them. That makes you happy until it gets boring, and then you move on. Right? And game design is all about creating the systems that let players recognize patterns, have subsequent moments of mastery over and over again for as long as possible to kick off those endorphins about system mastery, and then present a new set of challenges when that gets boring, right? which is basically like giving them a new game inside your existing game. And and I think you're right. I mean, obviously, if all we're doing is flipping coins, there's you never get that system mastery rush. So it's really all about 
that secondary rush, the thing I think Raph Custer misses in that book is that that secondary rush, which is about the exploration and the unexpected. And, you know, when we're talking about the game that you and Laura were playing, Rob Zachney, <clears throat> right, there was that exploration and unexpected element to it. You were exploited. This was undiscovered country. It's like, oh, my gosh, this was what if Pickett's charge breaks through the first line and doesn't get slaughtered in the open field? Maybe they've got a chance, right? That's exploration. That's really fun. That's something different, which steps outside that system mastery. Um, I mean, maybe this is part of why I keep dry. I mean, I keep finding myself driven back towards board games because of these outlier scenarios. I really don't see this in the video game world all that much. Agreed. Well, and I, and I think there's I think there's rich terrain for it. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, I'm sorry to keep going back to this game. I'm sure I'm sure listeners are sick of hearing about it by now. But I, I think War in the East is an interesting example because it's so it's so detailed, it's so granular. It's trying so hard to simulate uh, the Eastern Front. But one of the things that I kind of feel is missing is, um. You know, one of the great wild cards, if you're going to talk, like, seriously about, like, what happened in a historical event, is sort of the crazy shit that you can't model in a battlefield simulator. You know, like, you can't model, um, you know, Hitler starting to meddle in some really detailed plans just to suit whatever was his whim that that day that sort of changes the course of events. It's hard to model Stalin, you know, firing these generals and ordering, like ordering his generals not to ever retreat or redeploy or, or even, even just things that you would think you could model that tend not to be modeled. Well, like freak weather, right? I mean, I mean, how many simulators would you have to run to come up with the scenario that has Napoleon losing virtually all of his troops in one winter? Right. I mean, yes, everybody knows you shouldn't attack Russia in winter on foot, but we know that now. Right. The the point is, at the time, if you were building a model, hey, you know what? Half the time, the winter's not going to be that bad. Half the time, it's going to be really bad. And then you get the one year that Napoleon decides to march. Right. And I I think, you know, that's that's kind of that's kind of what I find missing is that we've got. We've got a really we've got a lot of games that create really elaborate systems for um you know for settling instances of conflict. Uh but then you know there there needs to be almost some sort of different system. And this uh, every game doesn't have to be like this, but you almost need a different mechanic to create a sense of the changeability of the context of these events. Um, you know, where, where, you know, like this, this battle could mean two very different things depending on, um, you know, what's, what's happening in the wider world as represented by a card deck. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what I would like to see more of because I find that, I find that a really fascinating form of luck because again, it's not just, you know, an instance here. It's, it's not just die roll, uh, dice rolls, you know, happening by themselves. It's... It's stuff you know that could happen, but might not this time. It might in another game, and you have to you have to keep your mind, you have to keep an eye open for it. it. Right, and and when it when it does happen, I mean, the difference is the more luck or unpredictability you put into a game, the more it forces people to, and I, you've touched upon this, abandon your plans of the moment and react to what is happening right then, and make a new plan based on the the, the condition of the game at that moment. Without hopefully, if the game is you know doing its job, losing track of what you ultimately want to do. So you know, does this new turn of events, does this string of luck, completely change what I have to do going forward, or is this just this minor thing, or can it almost be ignored 
and it forces more of a um, more of an in the moment uh, line of thinking as opposed to I had a strategy when I sat down and I'm going to continue with this strategy because I've thought it through and that's that's what's going to work for me. Um, well, and also I think the, that that can be game killing, right? If 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 like a set of openings is too richly rewarded, and I think this is a real risk in war games. Um, someone's going to do the same opening moves over and over, over again. Over and over, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's chess, right? That's chess in a nutshell, right? When right. was the last time somebody opened a new line in chess? Which, which is um, nineteen twelve. <laughs> well, Bobby Fischer invented a whole different type of chess, Fischer Random, to solve right. this exact problem. Exactly. Um, you know, well, I, the guy, I've never, wait, I've never heard of this. This was think, this was really in, interesting. In in Fischer Random, the back line is is mirrored but decided at random ahead of the game pseudo pseudo random like the um the king will always be between the two rooks there'll always be a bishop on different colors is that it yeah there's a simple there's like a little there's There's a little little rule set and so basically when you start that game of chess and fisher random you have to decide given this array of pieces what's my opening move and you have to throw out hundreds of years of opening moves because they don't matter for that board situation which to Bobby Fischer said, you know, he didn't like the first third of chess because it was all memorization. It didn't show the true skill of the chess player. If you do this, you have to know what you're doing from the very first move and be reacting to the board, not history. Great. And the mm-hmm. irony is that's the only way I'll play chess against our friend Dave Martin. Yeah. <laughs> because at this point, it's just I can't even compete, right? I can get to the middle third and have a shot. So I have one one question about this whole sort of this balance issue i mean i played a bunch of memoir 44 online which i think we've talked about a few times which is days of wonders put memoir 44 in a in a pretty nice online beta environment where i think it i think it's free or maybe you have to have bought one game or maybe you just have to apply for a beta um and and like all online board game variations it has a couple of nice features one of which is you can play a crap load of games very fast because there's no setup um, it does mimic the dice rolling and the card drawing really well, so it feels like that. But the most fascinating thing is they have all the scenarios from all the Memoir 44 books and expansions in there, and they show you the win-loss percentages per side hmm. over, the, over the thousands and thousands and thousands of games that have been played. And these are ostensibly somewhat balanced scenarios. Now, Memoir 44 isn't quite as balanced as some other versions of Command and Colors because there are scenarios where they say, you should play both sides of this and see, you know, if you need a tiebreaker and then flip a coin and do a tiebreaker, just like chess. But some of the scenarios, even though they've been balanced out to the extent that they're different win conditions, like one person might only need three flags to win. The other might need six flags to win. So they're, they're ostensibly closely balanced are like 85% allied victory, 90% allied victory Hmm. over thousands of plays online which I find fascinating because to me that makes this whole issue about luck much more interesting. Right. And so it brings me to this question of multiplayer versus single player. Right. I find myself in big strategy games relying more and more on good single player campaigns. I think of Dawn of War two, even the Starcraft two campaign as being the more enjoyable experiences for me because I'm working against scripted scenarios that have certain designer expected outcomes that have been carefully balanced for me to have a decent shot at success based on doing certain wise strategic things along the way. And then I look at these scenarios on memoir 44 and I think, huh, maybe, maybe 
scenario design has gotten too simple. Maybe it's too easy for me to win because if they're having, you know, thousands of people play these games that have 80% win conditions for one side and yet people still sign up and play them every single time, maybe I'm missing something and I should be getting more in my face, you know, in your face about my competitive strategy playing. I think with memoir, it's it's an interesting case because there are a lot of scenarios where someone like one side's clearly sort of supposed to win, uh, but then it, co- it comes down to what the score was, right? And that's why they recommend tournament play. It's because you know the scenario might not be balanced, but um, you know so- some players are more equal than others. I guess is kind of what they're is kind right. of what they're trying to get Who across. Who lost like, least? Right. Right. Exactly. Um, but boy, you know. That seems that seems so incredibly risky to just sort of reveal that online because that sort of seems like, um, you know, pulling back the curtain on the Wizard of Oz. I think yeah. it would encourage people who like taking the underdog slot to try and go for those twenty percent win conditions or, or right. the you know the ten percent. You know, it's Are it's you... a challenge. I, I can do it. So you're a fan of the Kobayashi Maru? Yeah, basically. exactly. Like the... It's like the one yeah. in ten. Make it happen. Well, actually, I mean, I've spoken with um, Richard Borg, the designer of those series, many times, and um, Hasbro actually put out uh, or puts out Wizards just re-release a Battle Cry, which is the Civil War version of that. And he says that he really doesn't try to get them balanced. He tries to make them somewhere between historically accurate and balanced. Like he knows that in some cases, whichever side, you know, depending if you're doing Civil War or you know World War II, didn't really have a chance. Um, but he wants to, he kind of goes into the, like you were saying before that, that score system of, well, you know, if, if you need three and the other guy gets, needs six and he's always going to get six, did you at least get two or did you only get one or did you only get zero? Right. Like, was it an awful loss or was it, Ooh, I almost snatched away victory just to kind of show the historical nature of they really didn't have a chance, but what can you do within these parameters to maybe do better than they did? So I'm not sure that Days of Wonder um, would worry too much about that because I don't think the designer's promising close to 50-50 in most yeah, scenarios. Yeah, and, and I don't or think even 60-40. A, I don't think it's a secret. He, I mean, they say that in the books, right? I mean, it's it's quite obvious. Like, this is designed to be a play both sides and then decide who did better kind of scenario. But, but I've just found that interesting because I never think about those scenarios that way. I never sit down to play Battle or Battle Cry or Memoir 44 or Command of Colors Ancients and think, Huh. Well, I'm going to lose, but maybe I won't lose so bad this time. I just never think about it that way. Well, no, not with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to think about it as I'm the underdog. Things are stacked against me. And then you give your Henry V speech, you know, and you basically <laughs> you look at yourself as the scrappy underdog going up against the, the big bad guy and you and you fight, you know, against the. The Persians and see what you will, can do. Will, will you come stand next to of... me and like you know give me the rallying cry next time? <laughs> yeah, I, I mixed like eight genres in that metaphor, which is I'm impressed by. <laughs> I think the same kind of person who would uh, going back to the the top of the show, um, roll two d twenties to see if he makes it across the lava would be the same person who would take yeah. that underdog Henry the Fifth. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I just I just think like. I, I, I think you might take that once, but then I, but then I, like the scenarios I, the scenarios I come back to the most are ones, you know, the scenarios I think I'll keep replaying and replaying are the ones where 
it's a little more of a crapshoot how it's going to turn out. Because, you know, we've been talking about, like, luck allows you to break free of sameness in a lot of ways. And I think if you've got really sort of lopsided scenarios, then, you know, again, you're running you're running into that problem again, where the, where the luck can't overcome the imbalance in the scenario. And even if it's playing out different ways, you know, I do worry, I, I do worry, because I've seen this happen with a few scenarios in memoir, um, where you, you play it a few times, and you realize, well, this is this is going to be pretty much the same every time. Um, and I think that's, I think that's a really bad place for a strategy game to end up in. Um, you know, but, well, I mean, no, it's a bad place for a strategy game to end up in, I think, if you're playing against someone else, you know, because then you're, because then you get two people into the scenario and it's your, it's your big, it's your, you know, mano a mano, you know, your, your, your duel of pride and ego. Um, at least, you know, that's how mine go. Um, (laughs) but, I think it's different if it's single player because in single player I'm willing to play I'm willing for with single player strategy games I am much more willing to indulge in a puzzle. Uh you know one of the games I come back to a lot again um is Myth where mm-hmm. you know these scenarios they they're very they're very intricately constructed and they're very cool and the decks the deck is stacked against you but you know the the interesting part of that game is how can you how can you escape the trap you've been placed in? But and but, what, the, but the problem with myth is often that it becomes an aha kind of puzzle, which is often a very quick hit, right? Like it's like oh, I can knock the trees and roll knock over the trees and roll them down the hill, right? I mean, it, they my my experience with myth often had that quality of puzzle, which I don't enjoy that much. Well, it doesn't sound like you were playing it the right way. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh. You were playing it. I, I'm wrong, quite sir. sure I wasn't. I, I find it. What I find really exciting is the game that demands sort of the virtuoso performance. Um, that's that's where that's where it gets really interesting to me. You know where where you find it's not just it's not so much just aha, but it's more about learning like learning how the game works, learning how the systems fit together, and then assembling those elements into a symphony of command prowess. Oh, uh, yeah, that's mastery, right? Yeah. That, that I'm not that smart, <laughs> or dedicated, or focused. I mean, it takes a lot of different <laughs> things. <laughs> or, or pick any number of things that I'm not. I guess well, you I, can just I, roll I, those I, all I, together. Well, I, I like the the appeal of the shiny new game, and I was just reading an article about today the thrill of the new. You play a game once or twice, and you go, "Oh, that was really cool." I didn't do that well, and I'd probably do better. But look at this new one over here that I haven't played that offers tantalizing new things to experience and be dazzled by. And um, I think a lot of people who are really into board games, and I don't know what the statistics are, but the people who have collections, let's say of over 50 games, probably pay each game a very small amount of time and only have a true short list of ones that they play on a regular basis, and um, which takes away from mastery. And it's like, and it's a bit off topic for what we're talking about here versus luck, but it's an interesting thing that you can be entranced by a game and then just want to go find the next new one. Perhaps a topic for another day. All right, uh, and that about does it for tonight's show. Um, thanks for listening, and uh, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. As always, I'd like to thank Julian, Lara, and Rob for joining me tonight, and Michael Hermes for producing the episode. So, any any closing thoughts on on the question of luck? I I mean, I'll I'll reiterate what I said before, which is that you know I think many strategy gamers eschew luck 
and they think of it as like as an evil that masks the inability of a game designer to create a perfect simulation. And and I think I used to think that way too. I think in my twenties I went through a phase where I was like all about hardcore strategy, learn chess openings. That's blah, when blah, I was blah. a chess asshole during that phase. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and I would just encourage people to embrace their inner Amero trash, whether that's for uh, a board game or for for a video game that that brings that out. Because I think Rob's right. I think it is all about storytelling. As a designer, it's interesting. Now, again, just to restate, I'm a designer who deals a lot with casual gamers and kids' games. I'm a big fan of luck. I like luck in there because it makes every game different. It makes you want to play again. And provided I've done my job correctly, it doesn't leave a sour taste in your mouth. Um, you always run that possibility, though, because the more luck you put in as a designer, the more control you're giving up so that you know that the system will go off and, and go in interesting ways, but potentially sort of dangerous ways. Well, not dangerous. I don't think my games already hurt anyone, but dangerous in that you could have a very unsatisfying experience. Um, but I definitely enjoy the right use of luck in games. And if you ever play games I designed, you're, you're going to find it all over the place, hopefully used well. I, I too, very much enjoy luck-based games. Uh, I, I, I appreciate the... As I've said on the when I've been on the show before, I really appreciate the games that allow you the chance to build your own narrative and build your own story. And, and I think luck uh, as, a, as a game mechanic really plays into that. Uh, but whether it's a luck-based game or a skill-based game, I think it really just comes down to not investing so much into the game that you get upset if you lose or if you win, I don't, I don't know. If you, you not not getting so emotionally invested that um, you can only see the game in those terms. Uh, and, and are you like, admonishing me? I think <laughs> <a little> bit. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a Rob Zachney cocktail right there. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! But it's it's uh, what I'm. I guess what I'm trying to say is that every game is its own experience, and I know that sounds like a platitude, but uh, it certainly is. <laughs> it certainly um, makes it m- makes you more open to learning something from each one of those experiences. So, um, you know, for me, th- for me, there are two things. The first is kind of what we were getting at, at with our discussion of card mechanics. I think, I, I think, I think you. D- I, I don't like it when a game kind of places luck and skill in opposition to one another. I kind of like it when they're cooperating. Like again, like awareness of what is in the deck, what rules can change on you. Uh, I think that's I think that's a lot of fun. The other thing, and I think this is perhaps more important, is the one thing that bad luck should absolutely. And I think bad luck is the one you've really got to look for. People are people are going to feel great, and they're going to tell stories about the good luck they had generally. But bad luck can leave a really awful taste in someone's mouth. And one of the things I that never fails to annoy the daylights out of me, and I've seen it frustrate other players I'm trying to teach a game, is when bad luck basically incapacitates you and doesn't yeah. let you play the game. You know, and you know, one that's one that's one criticism I'd level against a game like Memoir, for instance. I played a game of Battle Cry over the weekend, which is another Command and Colors game. Where my where my opponent uh, Eric Hansen through bad card draws and bad dice rolls was effectively knocked out of the game, 
And that's that's an incredibly frustrating place to be because then the other guy's just rolling you and the, the game won't let you play. Yeah. So uh, if there's one thing that luck should not be able to do, it's take someone out of the game. And on that note, uh, I think we will call it a night. Thanks for listening, and good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.